Last week, we kicked off our new series, Get in the Game, Finding Your Place. And uh, as I mentioned last week, very excited about what this can mean for us as individuals. As you and I get in the game, as we engage, and we find our place. And also as a church family, as we continue to engage with life, engage with our community, engage with what we would say is God's mission, God intent for us as a group of Christ followers, uh, you know, called a church. So as we, as we think about this and we start to digest and we start to imagine what life would be like if we started to really experience life from being all in, engaged, and really had a confidence that we, in a sense, knew our place. Last week, we began by talking about trusting and who we are and who God is, and, and you can catch up and, and take a look at that if you want to uh, online or also stop by guest services, and they have uh, CDs and such for that. But uh, just this idea that if you and I are going to start with this getting into the game, finding our place, it starts with a vulnerable trust about trusting God and who he's made us to be, uh, trusting those in our uh, circles of influence and friends and those kinds of things, uh, really getting that idea of trusting. And so we have to have this kind of trust. And when you and I get there, when you and I get into the game and have that kind of growing trust, it's not something we just throw a switch and it's automatic. It's, it's a process. But when we get there, we find ourselves in the game. And in, until we do that, until we do that, you know, our lives can echo what Paul writes. And Paul writes this. He says, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully matured adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. And so as we look at our lives, no matter where you're at, if you're a, a starting out and trying to figure out what faith means, uh, we're going to say as a group of Christ followers, that hinges on being fully alive in Christ, like Christ, uh, because of what God's Son has done, and we respond to that. And then those of us who maybe have made a recent decision, we continue to try to integrate that into our everyday lives. And then for those of us who have known Christ for some time, uh, we have to continue to progress it's not that we're earning God's love or getting more of his love, but we continue to grow. And when we're in that process, we as a church family uh, rhythmically move in the same direction. We're in the game, and we actually find the, the football, in a sense, moving down the field. And we find that as a personal person, but also as personally, but also as a church family. And then we're fully alive, and it is just fantastic. Just imagine, just imagine how growing in that area would, would continue to transform your life. Now, with that, with the idea of trust, there's also this idea of um, just understanding uh, who we are and trusting who, who God has made us to be. Uh, we're also in this idea of, um, uh, let's see, not uh, holding back uh, but really being who we say we are, and this idea that when we start to trust who God is, we start to trust who we are, and all of that, uh, we find ourselves sometimes getting into 
a little bit of, of conflict. And what we find out is a lot of us learn this habit of kind of holding everything inside. And, you know, there's a time where we wish that, you know, wouldn't it be great if everybody said what they meant? And uh, sometimes we don't want that, but, but sometimes we do want that. And if we're going to go from, from trust to a healthy kind of conflict, we need to move in that direction. And Citibank, a number of years ago, had a commercial that kind of expresses this. Hi. Oh, hi. Welcome to the neighborhood. I brought you this pie to see if you're weird. Wow, that smells intrusive. It is. Did you want to come in, maybe snoop around a bit? <laughs> That's why I'm here. Wouldn't it be great if everyone said what they meant? Oh, I smell onions. So how much longer do you think this will take? I'll over-explain the process, mm. then give you an unrealistic timeline. I'll nod in agreement, so my wife thinks I understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I look forward to questioning your every move. <laughs> okay, well, I'll leave your house in shambles and disappear for six months. Wouldn't it be great if everyone said what they meant? Hi. Hey. I've made plans for later in case the state doesn't go well. Likewise, but funny story. On top of that, my mom is my best friend. Uh-oh. Yeah. Oh, there's the rescue text from my roommate saying she needs me. Wouldn't it be great if everyone said what they meant? Do you have a tool I could borrow and never return? Why don't I drown you out with some unnecessary sanding? Wouldn't it be great if everyone said what they meant? The city. Wouldn't it be great? If everybody said what they meant, wouldn't it be great if you and I felt like we, in a proper way, could express really what was going on in our heart? What would happen if you and I could, in a sense, risk the hard conversations, risk the potential conflict that would come out of saying what's really going on in our heart? And again, saying it in the right way, being kind and all of those kinds of things. But it seems that often you and I have been trained to have these thoughts. And because we're afraid of conflict, we're uh, afraid, just totally afraid of it. We never face the, the thoughts, the whatever is going on in our heart. And, and it, it, it just breaks down everything. So like we can't trust because we can't say what we're really thinking because we're, we're just it's just not worth the risk of it. We've been kind of side by side looking at a book and uh, right now video talks right now media talks about this, the five dysfunctions of team. Uh, a number of us are reading this and there's a company right now media and you can um, go there not right this moment, but if you look on your message guide and you got that little uh, thing there, that uh, QR code, take your phone, you take your device and take a picture of that and it will bring you right to Right Now Media. It will allow you to sign up for that. Uh, there's all kinds of tools there, uh, but we have a specific channel, uh, Seneca Community Church, and as we're going through this series, uh, we've got some highlighted resources. You can see them there and uh, you can see just all kinds of stuff and there's, there's more things and if you want to find more about the five dysfunctions of team, you just click on that and then you go there and then you click on that and you're all set. And if you have trouble with that, you can stop off and uh, see Angelica at guest services and she can, she can help you with that, or at least try to help you with that right now. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I can help you with that. But it's, it's this idea that, that you and I, if we're going to be in the game, if we're going to find our place, start with trust, and then we're willing to share the hard conversations 
and not run from potential conflict, we can actually talk those things out. Patrick Lassoni says this, he says, successful teams don't hold back. They trust each other and engage in conflict. It's the pursuit of truth. Now, the pursuit of truth isn't the pursuit of, I have to be right. Then, you, then you're losing. But it's the pursuit of clarity, understanding, and successful teams. Actually, the reality is successful marriages, families, churches, businesses, ministries, groups, leaders, etc. Healthy, successful, however you want to define it or say it, don't hold back. They actually trust each other and engage, even though there might be a little tension, even though there might be a little conflict, for the pursuit of truth, the pursuit of moving forward. And this is so hard. We've talked about this recently in this whole series. Is it's hard for us. Most of us as adults are, have either had bad experiences with this, uh, don't have relationships that are strong enough where you can actually say something. When I was a little boy and going to visit my grandmother, uh, we weren't privy to soda at home too often. But when we would go down to Maryland and see my grandmother, uh, you know, she always had root beer for us in the glass bottles and all those kinds of things. And we really, I really liked it, and she knew it was one of my favorites. But somewhere along the line, I started to like Pepsi better. And mom had Pepsi. I had root beer, but I liked Pepsi better. And I just felt like I couldn't risk telling my grandmother that I liked Pepsi now better than root beer. I, I, I couldn't be transparent. And you take a look, and, and somehow I got that vibe. It's not that I was told not to do that. I just felt that way. So all through my years with Grammy, I drank root beer, even though I liked Pepsi better. Some of you, some of us, are still doing that in our relationships. We hold back, and we don't engage, and we don't risk the hard conversations, like, I don't really like root beer as much as I like Pepsi. We don't risk those. And so then there is this cloud in, in our relationship. Now, you need to learn how to do this the right way. You need to know how to how to enter into this you know me coming over to my grandmother's house saying you know I hate root beer now and blah, you know that wouldn't have been the right way but uh, you know I I should have been able to navigate through that and so eight ten years old into high school I'm laying the tracks that you don't do that when, when you ought to do that and I don't have this all together because it's still a casserole. Now, don't say this. My mom's going to be here next week. That my mom makes that she thinks I haven't told her yet. Maybe next weekend's the weekend. You know, she'll be in here with tears. Dave doesn't like my cat. You know, but, uh, you know, so, 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 you know, these ideas of successful teams, successful whatever, is they trust and engage. They, they understand that. Now, James, Jesus' stepbrother, uh, writes about this, and you've got to realize that James, Jesus's stepbrother, uh, Mary was Jesus's uh, mom, and uh, God the Father was Jesus's dad, and Joseph was the stepdad. 
but there's all these other siblings. And one of them, James, is in this family. You've got to take a little thought about their family. And, uh, this, you know, when there was some issues with Jesus, you know, his family, Jesus' family, heard what was going on and went to rescue him. He was just working really hard and speaking a lot. By force of necessary, they suspected he was getting carried away with himself. So even the family, even Jesus' family, is kind of uh, has some conversations to have with Jesus, and uh, they're, they're bothered by what's going on. And, and James realizes, and we're going to talk about what James says later on, I mean, if you were growing up in Jesus' family, it would probably be pretty tough. You, you know, um, Jesus hit me. No, he didn't. Jesus took my iPad. No, he didn't. Jesus doesn't do anything wrong. You know, that would probably be tough. Well, anyway, so James grew up in that environment and understands this idea of saying, tension, conflict, healthy conflict. And he writes this in, in James, in, in the book named after him, James. He writes this, he says, everyone should be quick to listen, that, that's everyone, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because anger will not help you live the right kind of life God wants. So James, thinking about conversations, thinking about conflict and how conversations can go off the rails and go too crazy, writes this. Uh, the contemporary English version says 20, verse 20 this way. says, if you're angry, you cannot do any of the good things God wants done. What's that mean? That means if, if you can't get through these things, if you're resentful, if you, if you get just so controlled by your emotions that you're just not kind, that you don't listen, if you get so worked up when you bring something that's a different idea to the table that you can't handle responses and it just gets out of control, God's not going to build a good foundation in whatever you're trying to build in that kind of environment. So if I'm on a team and we can't have a conversation about different ideas and those things, and, and again, and maybe it gets a little energized, not, not outside the bounds, but gets a little energized. If we can't have that conversation without me getting angry and ticked off, then how in the world do I think God is going to build anything out of that? Same thing with the, with the marriage, with a family. If it goes the opposite, because you're angry, you just don't say anything. That's, that's not what this is saying. God wants to build something in and through our lives. As we think about being a church, we need to be able to have an exchange of ideas and, and be good with that. And sometimes, I actually say a lot of times, we're going to find that when we get into those kinds of situations, we'll find that better things unfold. Just even last uh, Friday night, we were having a leadership meeting. That's our deacons. And I proposed a wicked, good, awesome idea. And the way I wanted to execute it was just excellent. I've been thinking about it for a while. And there were different ideas at the table. What am I going to do? I mean, most of my ideas are super great. So what am I going to do? Am I going to posture and say, no, no, it's going to be, you know, what, what's going to happen at the meeting? 
it was a little bit of this and that, just normal stuff. I, what about this? What about that? And all this stuff. And as we talked about it, another execution of that idea, a way to do it, came on the table. And it actually, don't tell the deacons this, it was better than my idea. It was actually a lot better than mine. A lot of times we won't risk that. A lot of times the people sitting or sitting around the table or sitting around the dining room table or, or you're in bed with your wife or your spouse or whatever, and all of a sudden it, it's just silence. You just don't want to go there because you can't have a conversation where you see things with a different way. And then, and then it's the opposite. So there's not a big angry fight, but you've trained yourself not to say anything. That's not, that's not like, wow, that's a win. We didn't say anything. We didn't exchange ideas. And so we just kept quiet and we faked it. That's not, that's not healthy. That's not healthy conflict. It's actually possible to have a healthy conflict. See, healthy conflict is centered around ideas, not people or personalities. Now, that's easy to say because sometimes our ideas are tied up with our personalities. We're tied up. It's an expression of how I think and who I am. So even when I'm sitting around the table and I'm giving an idea. And I've got some skin in the game, skin in the, the idea. I need to at least have a frame of mind where I can listen to another way of doing the same thing. Or maybe, maybe even doing it is just a bad idea. And I, I need to be in an environment and create an environment for, by my being that someone actually can say something. Worst thing that can happen is like two years two years later or two months later or a week later, you know, the, the thing blows up and all of a sudden you're talking about it. They go, someone goes, yeah, I knew that was gonna, I knew that was going to happen. But why didn't you say anything? Well, you know, because I knew how you'd react, basically, is what they're saying by their actions. So healthy conflict is centered around ideas, not people or personalities. Les and Leslie Parrott say this, conflict is the only way to intimacy. What? These are like experts in marriage therapy. They've got tons of books out. And what they're saying, if you can't have a conversation from a different point of view and can't come out the other side, there's a major problem. Either you don't have the conversation or you have it and it just blows up. And then it's fake. And then you go on. You know, you know this, this kind of surprises me. And it, Well, it doesn't surprise me. You know, I've met people that are really good friends and something comes up and sometimes they've been friends for years and years and years and they actually won't say what they're really thinking because they think the other person in the friendship, whether it's their spouse, whether it's someone on a church board, whatever, couldn't handle what they would say and it would fracture the relationship. And I go, well then what kind of relationship really is that? If you can't say what's on your heart in a respectful way, in a right way, but you have to keep that bottled up and hide it, or if whenever you pull that out on the table, it's fireworks, something's wrong. So what they do say is it is true. When you can navigate that, when you can walk through those moments, you find that relationship gets stronger and stronger. And in the marriage relationship, that creates more intimacy because you can actually share things. But a lot of us want to play it safe. We're afraid of conflict. We
We don't want to face it. We run from it. So we want surface. We want to keep it at surface because we, we just don't want to get into that. Sometimes we want to have small groups like this. Are you tired of small groups always getting into your business, trying to get you to share your feelings, discuss your past, confess your sins? Are you just looking for a place to kick it, network, maybe get some free grub? Me too. That's why I created what I believe to be the world's first openly shallow small group. We're not here to deal with messy stuff like feelings and emotions. You got problems? You deal with that. You're an adult. Life ain't easy. So stop the pity party. We all have our issues. We don't really want to do life together. Frankly, at Shallow Small Group, we try not to do much of anything at all. You'll never hear us use the term, unpack that thought. We're sure it's packed away for a really good reason. And you'll never hear us use the term accountability unless you're talking about someone who deals with numbers. Hey, dude, thanks for doing my taxes. You have great accountability. And spiritual growth? Who wants growth? I had a growth removed last week. It wasn't pleasant. There's no pressure here to remember each other's name. What's going on, buddy? Oh, hey, man. How's it going? Oh, dude. We know you have a name, and that's the important thing. Group discussion? You got tickets to the big game? Sweet. Let's spend some time on that. Oh, you and your wife are struggling financially? There's tension in the relationship? That's not really the vibe we're going for. We avoid conflict like the plague. Some people say we're superficial. But hey, the word supers and superficial. I mean, who doesn't want to be super? Shallow small group. Because when things get too deep, people drown. A lot of truth in that. A lot of truth in that. So how do you and I experience healthy conflict. And I'm not talking about unkindness. I'm not talking about the first thing that comes to your mind. I'm not talking about being a jerk. I'm talking about healthy conflict. If you're in a relationship where the conflict is not healthy, I'm not saying you got to stay in there. I'm not saying you got to stay with abusiveness and all of those kinds of things. But healthy conflict is necessary for the exchange of ideas, for the exchange of growth, to be all who God wants you to be, to finding your place. You need to have trust, and then you need to have healthy conflict. So going right back to James, who understood this, we see that we need to stop to listen carefully. Stop to listen carefully. Everyone should be quick to listen. At least a lot of times when I'm in a conversation, I'm really not listening. I might be quiet, but I'm really not hearing what the other person's saying. Sometimes I'm thinking about what I'm going to say to respond to that person, and I miss something. I probably miss a lot. If you and I are going to have healthy conversations, we actually listen to the other person. Because again, it's not about winning. It's not about just getting your way and shutting them down. In a moment of sanity, you would say, more people in the conversation, not a thousand, but two or three heads are better than one. 
All of us would say that. Do our conversations reflect that? Or is it only your mind that needs to be the one in control? So we stop and we listen carefully. We try to understand where the other person's coming from. We, we, we try to hear them. And if we're not in this aggressive back and forth, we actually can have, instead of a, a three-minute conversation, we can actually let it be 15 or 20. Then you can listen, and then you can give a good response from listening, and then they can respond to you. Solomon writes, Fools find no pleasure in understanding. I have to remind myself, this word fool is not fool like they don't have mental capacity. This is, they have claimed values that they don't live. There's a lack of integrity. Integrity is soundness to their thinking. So a fool finds no pleasure in understanding. Like Friday night I said, as we listened back and forth, as we are talking, as my idea came out, and they really tried to figure out what I was trying to get at, and I tried to listen, and it went back and forth, totally civil, but back and forth. We understood, and then we came up with a better decision. Wouldn't that be awesome? Fully alive in Christ. Awesome. Especially if you're Christ followers and you have other people that know and love Jesus and are trying to travel and row in that, that direction. And those of us who have said yes to Christ have God join our lives. We, the Holy Spirit is a part of our life. So it's, not, it's, it's all that's going on. So we want to understand. We want to slow down and listen. We actually want to hear that person. Not to get all mystical, but we want to also say, What's the Spirit saying to me? What's God saying in all of this? What do I need to hear? Do I actually believe that God actually could put two or three people in the same room with different ideas and put them together, and then when it's all mushed together and, and, and worked out and maybe even a little energetic in there, the idea on the other side could actually be better and more effective? We, we would believe that. But do we function that way? It's a weakness in many of our lives. But they delight, the fool delights in airing their own opinion. Sometimes it's based on a self-worth kind of a thing. Sometimes you want to have the answers and maybe you were beat up growing up and you never felt worth anything and so now when you have a little bit of whatever you want to get it in there because it's it's building up your self-worth from, from years ago. I, I, I don't know why that is. But you delight in your own opinion. You, you don't listen. It can save a lot of heartache personally and as a group of Christ followers. Just, it just changes everything. So we listen carefully. We also guard your words faithfully. Slow to speak. Doesn't mean we don't say anything. There are times where we shouldn't say anything. Doesn't mean we don't say anything, but we, got, we analyze our God's words. You, you know this. We've said this before. It's like a toothpaste in a tube. Once you squeeze it out, you can't get it back in. I am very cheap. I like to use just enough toothpaste, just enough shampoo. I don't want like a gallon of it. Cause just So I get so irritated. Whoops, I squirted too much out. There's no way to get it back on that toothpaste. 
There's no way to get the shampoo back in the shampoo container. It's gone. Guard our words faithfully, not just carefully, faithfully, and be slow to speak. Again, doesn't mean we never speak, but we just think it through a little bit. Some of us, this is a hard one, some of us are too slow to speak. Sometimes a person receiving and talking creates that, but there's this two sides of this. Again, Solomon writes, watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut. Sometimes you've got to keep your mouth shut. Respond, don't react, and you will stay out of trouble. Pretty self-explanatory. Two questions to ask. Should it be said? Some of us, shouldn't be said. Some of us, it should be said. Some of us, you need the right time to say what's on your heart. When Cindy and I were first married, I was more of a bull in the china closet, so I had an agenda and had things to do, and she wanted to please her new husband. So I could say, let's do this, and she might say, well, I don't know if I really want to do that. That was like her screaming no. Oh, she really doesn't mind, but she doesn't really care, so let's go ahead and do it. And I had to realize I needed to listen to her, and, and she needed to know when to kind of say, wait a minute, Dave, are you hearing me? The answer to this is no, I do not want to do this. Not like I kind of want to do it or kind of not do whatever you think, Dave. No, on this one, I, I, have, I have expressed view and thought on that. And then I needed to be smart enough to hear the cues when she was softly serving that up rather than ignoring it. I needed to go, oh, oh, she, she just said something softly is, is less confrontative as possible, but that's like her screaming. So Dave, you better listen. And I need to shut it down. And then the timing of it. Should it be said now? Hopefully you know the people in your lives well enough when it, when it should be said. Sometimes in the moment, it's not a good moment. Sometimes in the moment it is. Um, you know, when we don't do this, when we, when we hold this in, a lot of us will let it leak out somewhere else. Kind of funny, like you have a, you have a meeting the board of some board, some committee or something, and you didn't say it, you should have said it, and then in the parking lot, you're saying it. Should have been said in the board meeting. Should have been said in the meeting. Uh, something's going on with your spouse. Something's going, you, you say it to somebody else, but you don't have that conversation with your spouse. Should it be said? Should it be said now? These may seem really basic, but... Uh, some things we need to remember is never call someone a name. Never do that. Never say, you know, you're stupid. It may not sound wise, but don't tie the name to the person. And mean that. Just don't say it because it's polite. And inside you're saying, yeah, they really are stupid, but I'm not going to say that. Don't call names. Never raise your voice. One of my daughters, uh, when I'm firm with her, I 
never yell that. Or one of my daughters would say when she was little, Daddy, you're yelling at me. My first response was, I want to show you what yelling feels like. Yeah! But I had to, I had to learn that. How, what conveyed a raised voice? It doesn't have to be a raised voice. But what, what is the person that you're speaking to perceiving from you? If, if, they, if they're wired so that you're just being firm to them, thinks it's a raised voice, you need to take that into account. Now, that, that doesn't mean you never say anything either. Uh, this, this is messy. This isn't, I can't give you, check, 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 okay, I can do this. you gotta, you got to think this through. Uh, never say never or always. You always do this. You never do that. You know, every time we had talk about this, you know, you, you stay away from that. Also, you don't threaten to take your ball home. Believe. You don't do that when you're married. You don't do that when you're a part of a team. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't do that. You don't play that game. Now again, I'm not saying if it's abusive and all those kinds of things. But you just don't you just they just don't go down that road. And and never and never quote somebody else in a condescending way. Never quote me. Never be in a Tension and say, well, Pastor Dave says, never, don't do that. Don't do that. Because, again, you're just trying to get leverage. It's not leverage that you're after. It's clarity. It's, it's to have this conversation, a hard conversation, yes, but a healthy conflict. We, we can't just stop those things because those things do come back. You can't just pretend it doesn't exist. Now, there are some things you do just need to let go, and there are some things you can let go. But if you can't let it go and it's eating you up inside, you've, you've got to talk about it. You've got to create that. And again, your intimacy is always going to be surface. There are couples that have been married 30 or 40 years but can't have hard conversations. And they're not, they, they've got 30 years, but their, their tightness is like a couple years of marriage. And then there's other couples that have been married a short time, but they're willing to have those conversations. And, and there's an intimacy and there's a closeness there that the, the longer-term couple do, doesn't have. Also, handle your frustrations right, righteously. Handle your frustrations righteously. Listen, open your ears, harness your desire to speak. I like that way to say that. Harness, control. Don't get worked up into a rage so easily, my brothers and sisters. Don't let frustration get you worked up so you lose control. How many times have uh, you been in the middle of a heated conversation somewhere and the phone rings? You pick it up. Hello. La, 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 la. Someone knocks at the door. Hi! I know when, when we would have community groups when the girls were really young and it would be crazy trying to get dinner, homework, and vacuums going, everywhere, just craziness, and all of a sudden that first person, they're here because we know they could hear what was going on in the house when they were walking up the steps. You know, they're, they're here, and all of a sudden, ding dong, hello, welcome to our home. You can handle it. If I can handle it then, I can handle it in the other times too. Again, conflict is the only way to intimacy. Only way. In Ephesians we read, when you are angry, 
Do not let it carry you into sin. Don't let the sun set with anger in your heart or give the devil room to work. That idea about sin is timing. I don't think it's an absolute black and white. If you have a knockout drag out for somebody at 10.30 at night, you can't go to sleep. If it's that late for me, I need to sleep so I can be have a better set of mind the next day. What that is saying is don't let it go. Don't play a game. Oh, I'm too tired. I won't deal with it tonight. We'll deal with it tomorrow. And then it's, it's three days later, four days later, five days later. It's really the timing. Don't let it get away from you. Don't let that anger, don't let that frustration in your heart give the devil room to work. All of us know when we have an attitude towards someone, for whatever reason, it seems that we have a predisp we're predisposed to just being a little bit on their case. How many times have you had somebody in your life that does something that they don't, they don't follow through, but because you love them, it's no big deal. Somebody else doesn't follow through, and on such a smaller situation, and you're all over them. Why? Because you don't like them. You, 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 they, you've, the devil's had room in your heart, if you will. So you have more of an attitude to that person, even though they did hardly anything wrong, and this other person, because you like them, could do almost everything wrong, and it doesn't even come up on your radar. That, that's a condition of the heart. Four signs, your conflicts aren't healthy, moves into this heart attitude, a critical spirit. It's not that you don't have constructive criticisms. It doesn't mean that you don't have the hard conversations. It doesn't mean that you don't evaluate. You know, some people say, oh, you don't judge me. No, you need to, you need to be able to judge situations. You need to be able to evaluate. It's don't be critical. Don't be judgmental. When you just are on them all the time, it's just not how, just picking on them. You don't ever let up. And that, in a sense, can grow into this idea of contempt. You, you just see them coming and you're irritated with them. You just, you just, they give you heartburn. You have contempt. You don't like the fact that they actually exist. And you just, and, and when that's the case, Health has gone out the window. So if you're in a relationship, if you're on a team or whatever, and you're critical, always oh, that person never has a good idea. That you just have contempt. You see, you see them sit down around the table or whatever, and you're just hot to begin with. Health is missing. You're always defensive. And uh, for some of us, you know, it's we always want to have the answer. And we want to say why. Defensive. Defense is our first response. There's, there's no help. We ought to have trust for the other person that they're actually coming from a, a, a place of wanting to help. If they're not, then there's a whole other conversation that has to happen. But at least if you're in this relationship, in this team, in this organization, in this marriage, in this family, at least you're hoping everyone's rowing in the same direction for positivity, they want the health of the whatever the organization is, is to move forward. So when they present something or when they're talking, if you're just automatically defensive, that, that shows that there's health is, is missing. And again, all these things aren't like you go, go leave here today and go, okay, I'll fix that. No, no, this is a process. But you got to keep it in front of you. 
start moving in that direction. The other one is silence. Silence. They just don't say anything. Sometimes when I'm on a team or sometimes with Cindy, I'll say, I'll say, what do you think about this? And there really isn't any exchange. And I'll stop and go, what do you really think? First of all, I have to really want to know what they think. Maybe I'm sending the message, what do you think? But I really don't want to know what they think. You can play those kinds of games. Sometimes I'm on a team and I'll say, what? Yeah, not just, okay, everyone okay with that? Okay. And then we just move out by name. Because silence is not often approval. Silence may just be, uh, no, I, I don't like that, so I'm not, I'm not going to say anything. So, so don't, don't let you, well, everyone, everyone, no one disagreed. No one said anything. Don't let silence be a sign of the fact that things aren't healthy. Things aren't healthy. I'm going to move along a little bit here. To the bottom line. Fearing a hard conversation is almost always a sign of ill health. Not always, almost always. When facing a hard conversation is almost always a sign of good health. So if we're always running from it, bad health, not healthy. If we can face it, if we can have that conversation, then it shows health. And this is something you build on. This is something you build on. If you're going to have to start down this road, you start and the person says, yeah, let, let's, let's really talk. I know when I do premarital counseling, one of the questions I'll ask them is, do you want candid communication or not? Of course, they always say, oh, yeah, we want to be very candid with each other. We want to tell each other everything and say, you know, and you're like, yeah, 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 good, good. That's, that's good. But I said, what's going to happen is you're going to be in a situation where somebody opens the door to a conversation the other person doesn't want to have. And they may even say, okay, let's talk about it. But their body language, everything's going to say, no, I do not want to talk about that. And then that's a sign of ill health. It takes sticking your toe in, getting it up to your ankle, getting up to your knee, getting up to the waist. You, you ease in. And a lot of times with this, you take a couple steps in, a step back, back and forth, but overall you're moving forward. Because when we fear a healthy or fear a hard conversation, it is almost always a sign of ill health, while facing a hard conversation is almost always a sign of good health. And if you want to be in the game, if you want to find your place, we have to come to terms with those ideas. Father, we just uh, thank you for the fact that there have been people in our lives that have not run away from hard conversations with us. We can think of times where our life was actually transformed because someone said what needed to be said. They risked the relationship. And Lord, I would ask that if there's anyone here today that's wrestling with, man, I really need to say this to this person, that you'd help us to do it in a healthy way. You'd help us to move in that direction. We would be able to respond to your leading, and we would be able to have that hard conversation. Father, we don't want surface relationships. We want to be all in. We want to be engaged. And we know from last week that 
this thing called faith is not a isolated or a solo person sport. We need other people and other people who have permission to speak into our lives. So we ask that you would help us with this. Help us not to give up. Help us to hold on to this. Give us some positive outcomes where we step in this direction. Help us to not be so afraid that we keep everything surface. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for these passages. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name.